Good morning, everybody. It's been a frigid morning throughout. I am Sam Kinches with my good friend, Mitch Wolf, and welcome back to the Highlands Hawk week three. And Mitch, I don't know about you. I'm back in my dorm in Amherst. It is absolutely freezing, but nonetheless, it was absolutely heated in sports last night. Uh, it just kept getting better and better and better. What an absolutely wild week of divisional round football. Three teams winning on game-winning field goals. The road team almost pulling out every single game. We'll get to all our recaps of the games. But also our first ever NFL mock draft made by our very own Mitchell. Spent a lot of time on it. Really excited for that, for that segment of the show. But nonetheless, Mitch, I am so hyped to get into all the games today. <laughs> I think, Sam, we can both agree this was the most fun weekend of football we've seen in a long time, maybe ever in our lifetimes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we're going to go and order the games because, I, to be honest, I think they get progressively better as we go along. Let's start with the first game of the weekend, the four-seed Cincinnati Bengals at the one-seed Tennessee Titans. That game ended 19-16 to 16 on a 52-yard field goal. 52-yarder was what they officially called it by Evan McPherson as time expired in Nashville. Uh, this was nutty in all sense of the imagination. Sam, what are your takeaways from the Bengals on this game, coming on the road and winning? Resilience was really the word to put it. I mean, Joe Burrow was having had no time to throw. No time to throw. The Bengals just found a way to win. I mean, the defense just came out and came out ready to play. Three, three interceptions, three interceptions, and just forcing Ryan Tannehill to give the ball up. They very much made, Derek, made the Titans have to work for it. Derrick Henry could not get much going. And Joe Burrow, again, just playing like a real seasoned vet. I mean, the guy is just a winner. And you've seen it. His career at LSU, and you've seen it in, like, is this year with the Bengals? The guy took nine sacks, and they still won the game. That is absolutely absurd. I had never seen anything like that from a quarterback who's only two years into the league and look I have my thing I have my things against Zach Taylor but hats off I mean look at these that Joe Burrow didn't even throw a touchdown pass and they've somehow won the game 28 for 37 348 yards through the air I mean that is just absurd and the thing was the Bengals not, not their offense did jump out of here it was a clearly defensive win on all fronts once again, the offense couldn't punch it into the end zone, which is something they struggled to do against the Raiders and even against the Titans team. That the, That's one thing that does concern me about this team is that they're not truly capitalizing on those turnovers that they have been creating. Yeah, we'll get into turnovers more. They have, Their one touchdown was a mix and rushing touchdown in the third quarter. Evan McPherson, four for four. We talked about that defense, three picks, including a tip one around midfield with 20 seconds left to get allow them to go down the field and drive and get McPherson position to win the game. Uh, obviously they limited the damage to Eric Henry held them to 62 yards. They touchdown on 20 carries 3.1 yards of carry for King Henry is poor by all measures. And it's poor in general, but for Derek Henry, who were used to averaging seven yards of carry and a couple touchdowns and just being a dominant beast, obviously coming off an injury that that DJ reader and that in that defensive front was able to limit that on the bagel side. Right. We talk, uh, Evan Amunaro, I th- Amur- I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, got interview for the, Gi- got, got an interview with the giants this weekend. So in terms of, we're going to talk a lot about coordinators getting stocks up and down has definitely went up and on the negative side for the Bengals moving forward, that O-line needs work, right? Yes. You got like bailed out by everyone. And the fact that Joe Burrow was still able to rally the team together, the defense played their butts off, probably their best defensive performance of the year in an effort to get you guys in the AFC championship game. Nine sacks is unexcusable. You can't, that's unacceptable. Can't have it. We're not going to get to that point because they're picking between 29 and 32 in the mock draft segment, but I have the Bengals going all line with their first pick and likely two to three more down the draft board to keep Joe Burrow afloat. And Mitch, the Bengals moved the ball extremely well. Joe Bur- Mixon had an okay game by his standards, 14 carries, 54 yards. But Jamar Chase, another 100-yard receiving game. T. Higgins got involved, 7 receptions, 96 yards. And C.J. Uzama getting in on the action. And Joe Mixon had even at six receptions. I mean, the Bengals were moving the ball with great efficiency, but they just weren't able to punch it in. If they just convert maybe 
a few more, like one more touchdown on those red zone drives, this game would have been over a lot sooner. And what also stood out to me was Evan McPherson's immense confidence. I don't know what you heard, but oh, I did hear it. Got, once I got into field goal range with little time left in the clock, McPherson was like, as we're going to the AFC Championship and the Bengals, historic run continues. And Mitch, I don't know about you, but we mentioned the red zone drives. What is one? Do you think this Bengals team will have a chance to be have a chance to hoist the Lombardi Trophy? They have just been they they their model for the season. Why not us? Who day? First of all, second of all, I think they do have a shot, right? I think you've won two playoff games when you had it won one in thirty one years, and you won your first one on the road in franchise history this past weekend. Not to mention, they get a rematch of Week 17 where Jamar Chase had 11 catches for 266 yards and three touchdowns. Burrow threw for over 400 yards, and they won that game on a on a last-second field goal because why not in, in Kansas City? So it's definitely a possibility. But enough about the Bengals for now, Sam. Obviously, they got everyone involved. But let's. But that was also because they couldn't run anything. It makes it kind of get anything on the ground, so they had to pass. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Titans for the second for a second. Uh, so, what cost the Titans this game? I think it was a combination of play call, play calling and Ryan Tannehill. I mean, look, Mike Brable is a coach of the year candidate. And I don't think that two point, the Titans decided to go for two after the Henry touchdown, his first touchdown, and they have momentum. And it's go they went for two. Henry lost it at the, at the, at the one. And that extra point would have maybe made the game a lot more interesting. A lot more interesting. The Titans didn't necessarily have to go for a touchdown. They could have just, they could have just maybe settled in a bit more, established more, established Henry rather really trying to play from behind. And also a fourth and one late in the game that cost them. Gutsy called. I mean, they always say you'll live and die by the analytic sword, and it's been costing teams as of late. As I think, you see opposing defenses picking up on that and becoming more playing for. And also Ryan Tannehill. He made a few, besides a few good throws, and A.J. Brown played a great game. Ryan Tannehill really did not show up when the Titans needed him. I mean, you saw he had a lot of regression this season as a passer, and they just gave him that huge extension. And part of me, it, it's concerning. And the offense completely self-destructed with him. Ryan Tannehill this season had a career-high 14, intercept, 14 interceptions. I believe that's a career-high for him. And that's really concerning. You threw three, two of them. One was his fault. The other two were just bad, bad throws. And the Titans very much could have won this game, and Tannehill very much threw it away. You know, in the Ryan Tannehill era in Tennessee, they've won. They're two and two of the playoffs now. This third year there, right? Dude. First year that first year they won two games. Why defense of Derrick Henry? One of those showed up last Saturday night. The other one was coming back from an injury that was pretty gruesome. Thought was going to sideline him the whole season. So again, obviously we can talk about Tannehill hasn't proven he can win a big game. That offense is really run through Henry in that run game. And they have, and Tannehill's requirement with the arm strength he has to make vertical throws. I'm kind of curious of how much of his success early on was contributed to uh, Arthur Smith and LaFleur. LaFleur wasn't there with him, but Arthur Smith yeah. being there and helping him through that, right? We talked about Henry. We talked about the uh, Deonta Foreman led the team in rushing with 66 yards, among other stuff. They were able to, they were able to run the ball well. Just Henry couldn't get going, but that was understandable. Uh, the, question, the question is, Mitch, what do they do from here on forward? Like, do they move on from Tannehill? And they can't, they can't just cut ties with cap and you don't want to be dealing with that so the Titans are in a tight spot so right obviously you can't necessarily trade Ryan Tannehill his value is not good so what do you do with him I think you run it back right you obviously they play well without Henry in Henry's absence but we they did not have AJ Brown who went for five four one four two and one we keep forgetting how good he is every year right unbelievable Julio and AJ Brown did not like saw the field together in how many games this year I think one, maybe one, th all three of them. Was this the first game? Maybe like second game that they've all three saw the, field the same, saw the field at the same time. Right. Remember how scary we were talking in the off season last year was right. They just brought in Julio Jones to be the number two to AJ Brown. Right. Yeah. You're, you're going to put a in the box. 
So you're going to have a one-on-one with one of them guaranteed. They're going to beat you every time. Right. Yeah. And then you get that. I think they're right back. Not to mention that front four had nine sacks. Jeffrey Simmons had himself a field. He had four of those sacks. Jeffrey yeah. Simmons has four. Harry Landry had a couple. Bud Dupree. Audrey. Everyone got involved. Again, I still think they're going to wind up going pass rusher in the draft due to Landry's regression and Bud Dupree's injury history and lack a little bit of lack of production down the stretch. I think, again, adding to especially on a team with not that many holes, right? Their line's solid. Their run game's good. Their secondary's great. If they weren't the top defense in football, they were number two or number three this year. I think they're going to add another pass rusher in the draft. I think that's probably the best move for them to add another impact player. But I think they run it back. There's no reason not to. There's gonna, they're going to win the division pretty handily next year unless the Colts find a way to fix their quarterback situation. The Texans aren't doing anything. The Jaguars aren't doing anything right now. And Tannehill's guaranteed two more years. So Right. Right. It was a four-year 118 with 91 guaranteed, so three years of guaranteed money. And – you can have him one more year. Then if you decide at that point, then you decide, okay, I'll bite the bullet. I'll do a post June 1st, do 13 and a half and 13 and a half. All right, Sam, let's move on to the Saturday night game. Negative wind chills in Green Bay for the 49ers at Packers. And like the first game, the 49ers won this one on a 46-yard field goal from Robbie Gold as time expired. This is the first time ever that two playoff games on the same day ended in walk-off field goals. I mean, this is, this is absurd. One thing that stood out to me that I was crazy, two, two stats in particular. One, Jimmy Garoppolo, before that game, never played in a game that is under 40 degrees. Never. And the second stat, this is after the game, Jimmy Garoppolo is 9-2 and two when he doesn't throw a touchdown pass. That's crazy. I mean, that's that the craziest. is absurd. And the Niners was – was, this was a team victory completely. And hats off to Kyle Shanahan – he has absolutely owned his former assistants once again, sticking it to Matt LaFleur. And this team was this game was won by special teams. And I mean, the Packers fans could probably attest to this. They've been complaining about their special teams all season. And Kyle Shanahan even said it before the game, they knew that they had the advantage. And when it comes to the playoffs, those flaws show coaches, good coaches will find a way to expose your flaws in the playoffs. You have to make sure you run a tight ship. And everything is put together. You can't leave that on end. Mason Crosby, the missed field goal at the end of the half. A it was blo- blocked, not I, missed. They blocked, blocked it. Punt, blocked the field goal. And a blocked punt for touchdown in the fourth quarter that allowed the Niners to tie the game. I have never seen special teams blunders like this in the playoffs. I mean, that is just, I'm sorry, that is embarrassing. And the Niners also side the ball just dominated I, the Packers they scored on the first drive but since then the Viners front seven showed up to play five sacks Arik Armstead with two he played incredible game Bosa as well they made Aaron Rodgers day in absolute hell and the Niners also they forced the fumbles they sort of beat the Packers at their own game the they let they forced the ball out they made pressure on Rodgers and they made it hard and it's just amazing to see the Niners put it all together and another 6-1 upset. I don't think it, we've ever seen that in one divisional playoff in ever. And nonetheless, we talked about this last week, Mitch, the ceiling for this Niners team, it's, it's the roof. I mean, they can go all the way. And I really think they have a chance. However, there is something to watch. Debo and Kittle both did leave her. Kittle had a really good game. We talked about him being a factor. But nonetheless, that is something to watch nonetheless. But it did not seem like they would. They were really hobbled. They left, I believe, in the third. Both left to bend the third quarter. Kittle, I remember, played the rest of the game. They both I Debo played through the game also. They left in the fourth. But absolutely, it will be monitored this week by everyone to see if they're ready. Again, on the defensive point for a second. And you'll see it in the mock draft later. Teams should take note on how the 49ers built this roster. They spent a lot of first-round picks on defensive linemen, right? Pass rush wins games, right? They spent a lot. Nick Bosa, Rick Armstead, uh, Javon Kinlaw, DeForest Buckner before they traded him. Trade a second-round pick for D Ford, Salman Thomas, right? And not, not all these guys are rostered by them anymore, but they've made a lot of investments, right? 
And just to touch on Jimmy G, and we'll get into this more later because quarter it will come and play with the quarterback carousel in the offseason. It had been the mock draft. Uh, obviously, Sam mentioned the two crazy stats that it was his first time playing in below freezing. The second one that's even more absurd is that he's nine and two in games where he doesn't throw a touchdown. That's just crazy. Like, you're winning in spite of your quarterback. That's yeah, absurd. And right? Mitch, if I may, Debo Samuel, 10 carries last, last in that game. I mean, he was all over the field. And what I what the thing about Debo is it's not just him as a receiver and not just him as a running back. It's just his presence overall, meaning that you know if he gets the ball on his hand, he's going to do something with it. Him just going in motion is going to throw an entire defensive scheme off balance. And that is a scary weapon to have and it's a huge advantage for any team that should be – it's an absolute luxury for any team to have. And Kyle Shanahan is – Playing with his chip. He's playing with fire. He's cooking with gas with Debo. It is so fun to watch. And every team that has a player like him, cough, cough, New York Giants, Canarius, Tony, use him similarly or find out how to. And just on Jimmy G's stat line, right? 11 for 19, 131 yards in a pick, sacked four times on the night, a putrid 6.9 yards per attempt, uh, total QBR of 11.8, league average is 50. And a passer rating of 51.7. The median rating this season was a 90. So below average passing game. Uh, again, difficult distinction, Sam. He could be the star of their next year if they go all the way. After that, what he's crazy playing, would it be if they just, they just went all this way and he's just not the starter next year? I mean, how I just how don't know how you can spend three first round picks on a guy and not have him start after two years. Like, it's like, yeah. If it was a Jordan Love situation and it was like, it was like, it was like an Aaron Rodgers Jordan Love situation where he was the two time MVP. And you like spent a fourth round pick to trade up to get him. Fine. They spent three first round picks. Yeah. To get Trey Lance. It's hard for me to, to see him not being the starter, the starter next season. Now on so, the Packers. There's, there's so much to talk about the Packers. I mean, the Titans and the Packers are both teams that their window was closing fast. And they're, they're both flawed. Both flawed. And the Packers, especially, one thing I want to point out, David Bakhtiari didn't play. You saw his presence was deeply missed. And what I was so surprised that the Packers just, they seemed just sluggish. They, Aaron Rodgers also didn't seem to trust his receivers. Besides Devontae Adams, who once again, another great game against, against the 49ers. He just was an absolute beast. He had, he had nine reception, 90 yards, but the leading receiver was Aaron Jones. And Mitch, crazy thing, the only other Packers receiver that had a target and a reception was Alan Lazard. One target. Mercedes Lewis, had, Mercedes, Lewis, Mercedes Lewis had a catch and then fumbled right away. So they had two. They had two catches outside of Jones and Devontae Adams, right? And I just, it just seemed like Rodgers was just not. It was maybe it was on the only coaching, but like just seems like they weren't using the weapons that they had. That the diversity of the offense yeah. just seemed lacking. Not to mention, right? Bakhtiari tearing his ACL late last season cost. Could have cost them two titles, right? And then you lost center Corey Lindsley to the Chargers in free agency, which definitely didn't help in the playoffs when you won experience pivot. Uh, not to mention the 49ers did a good job not letting Devontae Adams beat them. The two pre- the three previous games averaged 10 receptions for 145 yards and two-thirds of a touchdown. Like to get him to only nine catches for 90 yards was a decent job by the secondary mm-hmm. uh, will likely be back on the franchise tag unless he'd expressed desire on his way out that defense for the Packers though played up played played okay and played well enough to keep them in the game right uh the front four had four sacks and one pick on a stupid throw by Garoppolo at the end of the half Adrian Amos jumped that route uh it is the biggest strength of their team but long term they have cap problems and we'll talk more about this in a second with Aaron Rodgers Big cap problems. As good as the Smith brothers have been, both of them might be gone because cap issues. So I still have the Packers taking an edge rusher in round one, unless they, it's either going to be that or receiver. I don't think they go quarterback. If, even if they trade Rodgers, they'll likely rock with love or whoever they get back. But just, just talk, yeah. If I may, like also, it's just, the spe- we have to recognize the elephant in the room. This team's special teams cost them the season. In so many ways. And once again, the Packers, after a dream season, choke in the big moment. 
against the 49ers. Aaron Rodgers now 0 for 4 against the 49ers. And they got it just it's just they keep up coming short. And Aaron Rodgers is just he's been he's seven and nine in the playoffs since the Super Bowl that he won. And it's just sad to see a guy with such a talent and is probably gonna win an has a chance of winning another MVP to go out like this. You know, Sam, the biggest underachievement in sports, the Packers have had Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame level quarterback play the past 30 years. have only won two Super Bowls. It's ridiculous. It's crazy to watch. But now, we again, we talked about the special teams being completely abysmal. I think their stretching court would be fine. Everybody's across. They should be cut. Complete revamp of that. That is absurd. And one thing I want to, recognize the elephants in the room what is the future for Aaron Rodgers I mean he walked up when he was walking out of Green Bay you noticed he did a little this did a little peace sign is that is this Mitch is this the last game that Aaron Rodgers has ever played in Lambeau Field in Lambeau Field or as a Packer <laughs> let's let's do let's do it all let's have come on why not uh no it's not the last game he's ever played in Lambeau Field because I think he's not done yet yes it's the last game he's ever played as a Packer I, the way Aaron Rodgers like looked and the body language he was carrying reminded me of Blake Snell after game six of the 2020 world series when Kevin Cash pulled him out where like, he's like, I'm done with this team, like mentally defeated, right? There's a chance he can stay if they're going to negotiate more money. But um, I, I think at this point he's made enough where it's like, I don't care. And re- realistically, he'll still get around $40 million a year next year. Uh, I don't know where he would go. He could retire. I don't think it's, po- I don't think he's like done with the game. Right. Denver being the one that everyone keeps saying, oh, we're a quarterback away. Pittsburgh's another one. Miami's a possibility, but I don't think Chris Greer is going to do that. The Washington football team is the one in the NFC, I think, would be the one to really go get him and might have a chance to make a run in a week. NFC least with a strong defense, even though it regressed this year. And maybe your Vegas Raiders decide to upgrade from Eric Carter, Aaron Rodgers. And so besides Aaron Rodgers leaving, where do the Packers go from here? It seems like their window is closed, and it seems like everything is sort of going to – it's going to be a rough offseason for Kunikus, LeFleur, and everyone in that organization. Where do the Packers go from here? The good news for the Packers and some of the tight ends, no one in their division is really threatening them for next year, right? With the exception being the Vikings decide to bring someone who's like, we're going to go for it. We're going to go trade for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson or something like that. And like move on from Kirk Cousins. But even then, I don't, I think that's a stretch because they have a lot more work on that team. So the Packers will still be a playoff team next year, even if they don't win 13 games again. I think they will likely have Jordan Love starting week one. I'd like to think Drew Locke will be the backup there. Some trade, I don't know. I don't know what assets, maybe a Tim Patrick as your wide receiver too. Maybe a lineman or another tight end. Then whoever you draft at nine and at 27, likely a receiver, maybe Trey Lumberks or another edge rusher, maybe George Karlaftis, if you're picking up that high. But they have a lot of work to do and a lot of cap problems to figure out. Because Three million the, over. The that cap situation is the second worst in football behind the Saints, right? That's an interesting one. Again, they're not great at Lambeau in recent years, and especially under LaFleur, have won one playoff game at home. Right? Is that one it's or two? Two, I believe. All right. Enough talk about the bleeping Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Let's move on to the Rams-Bucks game, which is the one that actually was dominated by for most of the game, right? Rams so this game, the first game, I think, where Tom Brady got the ball back, led the Bucks down, led his team down the field, scored, the game. That is never, I don't think that's ever happened. And Mitch, I don't know about you. When the Bucks went up 27-3, I was watching with friends. I was like, go for two, go for two, make it 28-3 for the bit. Come on, you know we all want to see it. And this game ended up being a meet 32-27. The Rams will 30. be hosting 30-27. to The Rams will be hosting the NFC Championship game rematch with the Niners. Part that three. That's going to be a fun one to watch. And the, the, so much to digest from this game. Let's first talk about so, let's first talk about the Bucs. The obvious question, Mitch, is this the last time we will see Tom Will we see Tom Brady hang out the cleats after this game? Hell no. Or, I don't do you think, think he does from here. I think he comes back, right? He's on a four-year contract. Brady could have been done five years ago, still would have finished as the greatest of all. Like, 
Brady still would have finished the greatest of all time before rings. No one was going to question that. Or at least it would have been like worst case scenario. You put him in the debate. Like there's a debate there. The dude has seven. He's got no incentive now to come off a lot. Like last year would have been the year to say I'm done after one year. Not now. I think Brady's a competitor. I think he's going to come back. He's going to play right in the event. They don't in the event he retires. Cause I don't think he's going to go play somewhere else. They're going to go. They're going to go. I don't think they're bringing in a veteran. I don't really see any veteran as, as much as there are veterans that want to come there. I don't really see any veterans that would make sense for them to go out and trade. Maybe Kirk cousins, but even then I don't think that's really the right move for the organization. I think they'd likely draft a quarterback in the first round, but I'm on the, I'm on the side of Brady staying. I'm on the side. They're going to tag Godwin and try and bring him back again. They need to bring back receivers, right? We saw a decimate. They were without Godwin and Charlie Brown. Mike Evans had had eight for one nineteen. The score Gronk had four for eighty five, and Lenny Fournette had two touchdowns rushing. But they're still depleted in the receiving core, and they will likely go corner in round one, receiver in round two, because their secondary is, doesn't have anyone locked up and no one who's really uber talented for that. Uh, injury, injury screwed them though. That's the big part. One hundred percent. Both all pro guard Tristan Wirfs was not on the field. Aaron the uh, the Rams, the Rams front seven was able to have a field day with Brady. And what we kept saying, you get the Tom Brady, you have a chance in any football game against them. And you saw that Brady did not complete his first five passes. He was very out of sync, could not really get much going. Jensen was also hurt for a bit well in the back of Wells. And you saw, like you mentioned, you saw how much they missed Chris Godwin, how much they missed Antonio Brown. Their offense became a lot more one dimensional and it, we keep talking about how really it's important for each team to really establish the run early. And Leonard Fournette did that. He had two 10-yard runs to start the game. And since then, they really did not have a chance. Tom Brady had to throw the ball 30, 54 times in order for them to have a chance to win that, win that football game, which is a little – which he's capable of doing, but it's a little more – a little unwarranted. It's not necessarily the Bucks' game plan. And Brady had a great game, 325 yards, one touchdown, and, it, and an interception. And – 72.2 passer rating, and the Bucs just played – like, we, we say this a lot on the show. I say it a lot of the Raiders. The Bucs played just enough to lose. They did everything right. They forced four turnovers on the – the Rams forced turnovers. They played hard. They played smart. Brady did everything for them to win, and two plays. That's all it took for the Rams to win this game. And we talk. let's talk about this Bucks defense a bit. It's a very yeah. strong unit, forcing four turnovers. I mean – how did they force turnover? We said whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win the game. They won the turnover battle and still lost. Oh, it's simple because of, the, of those four fumbles, they only score twice, right? One was the end of the half and one the next play, they fumbled it back. So you also had two turnovers there. You effectively had two turnovers there, whether it counts for turnovers or not, that you negated. So you didn't capitalize on your opportunities. Now, why did they really... Losing the one in the tournament battle, we've talked about this front four. Vita Vea, Damakong Su, JPP, among others. They had two sacks. That was it. The Rams O-line. Uh, the, without Andrew Whitworth. Who, without Andrew who, who What was the guy's name who played? He played extremely well. I forgot his name. I don't remember, but he played. He neutralized them. He neutralized, he neutralized them, and that was really the reason, right? And then we talk, We were talking about the one play at the end there because it has to be talked about that, like, why was Antoine Winfield left one-on-one on a go route with Cooper cup over the middle? Again, stuff like that happens, but did someone miss it? Someone missed an assignment. I don't, unless they called like a zero blitz, which it, was likely, but why would you call a zero blitz when you know they need a field goal to win? Like, I don't think Todd Bowles, I want to give Todd Bowles the down. I will that someone blew a coverage, but Hey, that happens. That's football. Right, and let's talk more about the, let's talk about the Rams. And Mitch, you, yeah. we talked about Cooper Cup a little bit. Let's talk about the Rams. You talked right? about Cooper Cup. Yeah, hundred percent. I have right. so much I want to say on this. All right, I'll start with Stafford. Right, Stafford. This is why you, you paid two firsts, a third, and gave up your franchise guy and Jared Goff to go get Matty Stafford. Right, three hundred fifty-five yards, two touchdowns, QBR sixty-seven point seven hundred twenty-one point two passer rating. He came through and made the plays. Won his first, has won two playoff games now. Hadn't won any in Detroit for a decade. So Matt Stafford has graduated from Stafford. He earned his stripes during that game. He proved all the haters wrong. He stood up. 
He got made the plays when he needed to. He was phenomenal yesterday. Hats off to him. He really cemented. He really did a lot for his legacy as a quarterback in this game. And he had not won a playoff game until now. Two playoff wins this season. I am ecstatic for Matt Stafford. Always been a huge fan. And this has just been huge for him in more ways than it is on the field. It's about time he gets the recognition as the top-tier quarterback that he's been his whole career. Because, frankly, no one cared when he was playing on the Lions and they weren't doing anything. Now he's on the Rams and they're winning. It gets on notice. All right. He won them that game. Yep. Let's talk about my favorite receiver and, my, and, my, and the best draft pick I made this past year in fantasy. Cooper Cup. Finished with nine, 109 receptions for 183 yards in the score and 11 targets. Had one fumble. But put that aside for a second. He has been the best wide receiver in football this year. Proven play-by-play. Second all-time in the regular season with receptions and receiving yards. Came close to beating both of those. But, Sam, does he have a case for MVP? He definitely has a case, but we talk about it a lot on the show. It's such a hard hill for him to climb. And and people and the people who vote for the MVP will probably say Stafford would probably win the MVP, MVP before Cup does because the argument he made. The quarterback is your most valuable player. Every you don't have a quarterback, you don't win games. And Cooper Cup has done things on a football field that very few people have can do. It's just sad to see. And it's just if he, I really don't think he's gonna win it. I, I think he just locked up offensive player of the year, 100 percent no doubt about that. The thing is, though, I really we talk about it a lot. If he doesn't win it, no Christian player will ever win it. Just given the production that he has done, he, him and Matt Stafford together will this team to victory. And we talked about also the Rams played some very sloppy football this game. They did. There were kinds where they did not deserve to win this game. Four fumbles, Cam Akers with two. And with a team like the 49ers, who they're going to play next week, who they are 0-2 against this season, and the Rams had had their trouble closing out games this season, especially against the 49ers. You cannot be sloppy against Kyle Shanahan. He will make you pay in more ways than you can imagine. Yeah, not to mention Cam Akers, second game back, put the two fumbles aside, 24 rushes, 48 yards. That's not good. That's bad. But the truth be told, with Henderson out and Michelle being limited in his abilities, right? Michelle is not going to go be your home run hitter, runner that Akers is. You need Akers as as an X factor on this team to go win a Super Bowl, right? This can't happen moving forward, right? If they, we you just said this, Sam, if they fumble like this next week, 49ers are going to be in the NFC, be representing the NFC in the Super Bowl for the second time in three years. So that'll do it for this game. The Bucks going home, the reigning champions going home in the first round. A lot of questions to be answered. The offseason, the Rams will host the Super the NFC Championship at SoFi Stadium with a chance to be the oh. second team in a row to host the Super Bowl. Second team that ever also. Fun. In two consecutive years, that could be a lot of fun. But let us get to the big one, the behemoth of, like we said, every game just kept getting better and better and better. If you think those games are crazy, wait till we talk about this one. The Bills and the Chiefs rematch two AFC powerhouses, a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. The Chiefs, Pulling through in overtime, 42 to 42 to 36. And Mitch, this game was everything we wanted out of this matchup. I mean, Sam, right? Not to mention, like, okay, like the first three games, okay, Bengals upset Titans on field goal. 49ers beat Packers at home in crappy weather. Uh, Rams blow lead, come back to drive down and beat the defending champs. And then we finish off the weekend with, a walk-off touchdown in overtime to Travis Kelsey. That undermines the last, like, five minutes of the game where there was, like, the last 154 of regulation, there were 25 points scored. Like, ridiculous. Uh, Mahomes and Allen were both near perfect. The best quarterback play I've seen on either side of the ball from both of them, A, and B, any quarterback in the league this year. You can couple Burrow appearances, but, like, just back and forth. Quarterbacks played great. This is the best game I've seen in a while. Like the one that comes to mind was the Chiefs Rams in 27, yes. 2018, where they mm-hmm. went back and where they went back and forth. I mean, this was by Mexico, but beyond like, I, like that's like the one. And even then, what well, I don't think that was as great because there was those that was a bit more sloppy, just more offense. So, right. so Mitch, let's go let's go in depth a bit. So let's first talk about the Bills. 
I wanted the Bills to win this game, and I thought they deserved to win. We'll get into the about the overtime rules a little bit later in the segment. But Josh Allen was absolutely phenomenal in every way. It was 329 yards, four touchdowns, 68 rushing yards. He had two. He was sacked twice in 11 drawbacks, 90.3 QBR with a 136 rating. He had two game-winning drives in the last two minutes, essentially. Let's say what it is. He did everything. He willed them back to this game. He was running away and making throws. Made He made stuff out of nothing. He looked – Josh Allen – I'm excited to see this matchup going forward, but Josh Allen was phenomenal. And a guy, Josh Allen, made this guy a star. Can we talk about Gabriel Davis for a sec? He's getting the first player in AFC, in AFC playoff history that four touchdowns in a game. Eight receptions, 210 yards on 10 targets and four touchdowns. Most receiving touchdowns in a playoff game. Yeah. Mitch, where do you see his role going in the rest of the postseason and potentially next season? They got their wide receiver too for the future. That's all I got to say, right? But like, let's talk of this. Stefan Diggs, three receptions, seven yards, a two-point conversion on six targets. Like, they're paying you money to do to be the wide receiver one. That's scrub level numbers. You can't let, obviously, the Chiefs defense spags Steve schemed away for that to happen, right? Not to mention the defense couldn't really get a stop. But again, when these quarterbacks are perfect, number one defense in football this year gave up 42 points. Can't do that. They're missing Tredavious White. Would have helped on Hill, definitely. Among those. And Micah Hyde was also hurt in the Micah first Hyde, quarter. Micah Hyde was hurt, but missing. They need Trey White back, and they're likely going to go with a defensive secondary player in the first round to add more depth to that secondary. Uh, and, and Mitch, if I may, so... The Bills played, again, same thing. Everything just to lose. They have an interesting offseason coming up. How is that going to affect them going forward to the next season? The Bills' biggest loss will come in terms of their coaches, right? Brian Dables, all but certain, especially after this game, to get a head coaching job. I expect him to be the head coach of the New York football giants within, the, within, the, within, the, within this week. Likely he can go elsewhere. But with Joe Shane already there, I think it's plausible that that happens. Right. Uh, Leslie Frazier, albeit when you had two quarterbacks play perfect, it's kind of hard to play good defense. We'll probably still see some interest. I don't know if he gets a job on recency bias, but keep doing what you're doing, right? Like if I were you, if Dable leaves and he's not grabbing Ken Dorsey, the quarterback's coach with him to be his OC, you immediately promote Dorsey to be the OC because that's going to happen, right? He will be plucked to be an OC somewhere, rather him be your own. Uh, their defense will be round, will be round. I'm not worried about their team long term. They're still a powerhouse in this AFC for decade for for years to come. Sam, let's move into the Chiefs yeah. now because we're uh, we gotta get to the mock draft portion. Uh, so the Chiefs, Chiefs looked amazing. Mahomes, I mean, this matchup again. We talked about how it was everything that we wanted it to be, and Mahomes. We talked everyone. A lot of the hype Williams game would be like. Who would win you the game? Josh Allen Mahomes going toe-to-toe. And Mahomes they reminded people, hey, I'm still here. I'm still the best player in football. 378 yards, four passing touchdowns, 69 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown. Only sacked twice. The Bills really failed to get to him on eight dropbacks. 96 QBR with a 123.1 passer rating. And Mahomes played incredible. And you notice, once the Bills scored, Mahomes needed two plays to get the Chiefs in a position to score. And again, we what makes the Chiefs so scary is the amount of weapons that they have. It's not just the Tyreek Kills, the Travis Kelsey, it's the Miko Hartmans, it's the Brian Pringles. Because again, you can only cover Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill for so long. And then we got guys like the speed of Miko Hartman can beat you in so many ways. The versatility and route running of Brian Pringle getting open, Mahomes will find these guys. McKinnon, Bell, Clyde, right? Think about it, though. You're only, they were only rushing four last night, so they had seven. They were doubling both Hill and Kelsey for most of the game. So your other three skill guys are getting one-on-one matchups with no help. You and it still didn't point. matter. And it still didn't matter. Hill had 11 receptions, 150 yards, and one touchdown, and including an incredible catch and run where he waved a peace sign to the Bills. That should have been a taunting. That's besides the point. Taunting penalties Kelsey, are stupid and should be removed. But Then Kelsey... Eight receptions, 96 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets. I mean, you cover them, and they still get results. That's how good and scary this offense is. And what? And we talked about what was going to be the key for this Chiefs team, the rushing game. The rushing game got it going. 182 yards on the ground. They've 
they've rebuilt that all line in a year and it's telling that they paid off right orlando brown joe tooney among others creed humphrey they've all brought in in terms of that right defense needs to get more pressure joe burrow if not better than josh allen can still torture for 50 with those weapons last time you guys played them jamar chase at 266 yards and three scores we get a rematch of that the chiefs we keep forgetting about the chiefs that they are the best team in football like Every time, people keep doubting Mahomes. Why? <laughs> and Mitch, if I may, Tyron Matthew did leave in the first quarter with a concussion. His status is going to be very important as they go up against a Bengals team with a potent offense that beat them in week 13. And 17. so with that out, so what is the Chiefs' recipe to, to beat a team that they lost through this season and to have another chance at a Super Bowl? Get your ground game going. You, if you're, if you're, the way your O line's playing, their defense didn't get that many sacks on Tannehill. If your O line can hold up like that against the number one rated Bills defense, you got something going here. And so, yep, I think that concludes our that recaps. Will, right, Sam. The Chiefs hosting their fourth straight Super Bowl. It is going to be a fun one to watch. This is an incredible game, an absolutely wild week of divisional round football. We can only hope that the, the championship games in the Super Bowl are just this good. I mean, Mitch, if this is that good, imagine what the Super Bowl is going to be like. I am ecstatic. And this is what happens when you have the best teams playing in the playoffs, right? So that concludes our recap. We will see, we'll go back to it next week. So as this, as the chaos has been going on, this has been a little spicy that's going on around the league. Mitch, I know you want to touch on that a bit. What's going on throughout executives, coaches, fill us in. I mean, no GM besides for Josh, no move, either head coach or GM besides for the Giants hiring Joe Shane on Friday has been finalized yet. Giants have already interviewed both Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier. Patrick Graham, the current defensive coordinator, associate head coach, is also interned and was willing to be kept on as the DC. They have brought in the Bengals DC as well to interview Brian Flores has an interview coming up. Dan Quentin's interview coming up. That should be resolved by the end of the week or so, saying that all the people, all the coordinators that they were planning on interviewing have been eliminated and they can do second interviews. Uh, three teams still left with GM openings, Bears, Vikings, and Raiders. My guess is Adam Peters and Ryan Poles, the two finalists that for the Giants job that did not get it. One of them, one or both of them will be hired by either of those two teams. And head coaching, head coaching rumors, right? A lot. We talked a lot about the core different coordinators throughout the games, whose stocks are up, whose stops are down. Obviously, Raheem Morris among Eric Biemini, along with others who are still in cannot be hired until after their teams are eliminated. Executives, it doesn't matter. All right. So I and think Mitch, we're... And Mitch, if, if I may, um, so the Bucks lost. So how much attention is Todd Bowles and Brian Leftwich going to be getting over these next few days? I don't think the attention changes so much. I think they'll be getting a lot more interviews than they would have otherwise. I don't know how, how much interest either Leftwich or Bowles were getting before the divisional round game. I don't know necessarily with all these defensive mind now guys out there if Bulls would would get the job elsewhere, right? For I I think for Leftwich the Texans are the Texans and Jaguars are both possible destinations. Maybe the Raiders, maybe the Bears, and potentially the Vikings for top Bulls. The Texans, the Dolphins would be potential. Again, your Raiders, maybe the Vikings. I don't think there are that many open, and, and I don't think any of them or either of them are the favorite at any of these jobs. Leftwich may be the favorite favorite in Jacksonville. Beyond that, it'll be interesting, right? Raheem Morris will have to wait at least another week or two. Also, the Raiders have been interviewing. I requested to interview uh, Eddie Dodds, I believe, for the Colts, right? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. So yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. But that's going to happen already because they're out. So Right. So that'll be interesting to see. For those of you who don't know, the Raiders did fire Mike Mayock last week after three years. Uh, a move that had very mixed emotions for a lot of people. But – That'll be left to see as speaking of executives, we're coming to our first ever NFL mock, mock draft, draft Monday. Own. Mock draft Monday with Mitch Wolf. Mitch has worked very hard on that. Mitch does have a 32 egg mock draft set, but due to time constraints, we'll stick it to 10. Mitch will be posting the 32 mock, the 32 pick draft full. It will be a link on the YouTube underneath. We will post it there after the video is over, but nonetheless. Let's waste no time. Mitchell, let us jump right in. We'll go picks one to 10 with the first fake Jacksonville Jaguars around the clock. All right. So here's the mock draft, right? For my first pick, 
Jaguars, you had a couple options here. They already had their quarterback in place. Was it going to be a tackle? Was it going to be a pass rusher? It came down to either Evan Neal, Ike McWanu, could theoretically throw Charles Cross in there. I didn't think he was up there yet. And I felt they were not going to go with Thibodeau or Hutchinson. Look, Evan Neal's just a freaking nature, freaking nature, six foot seven, 350, has played well at both tackle spots, played well at guard for the Alabama Crimson Tide. They get a big body and one who moves better than everyone at that size to go protect Trevor Lawrence's blind, blind side for the foreseeable future. So the Alabama Crimson Tide, another offensive lineman in the job, Jacksonville, goes to protect Trevor Lawrence. All right, Mitch, pick two, Detroit Lions on the clock. I got them taking the man from Ann Arbor, Aiden Hutchinson, the edge rusher out of Michigan. Uh, this is their first of two picks in the draft. They also have the Rams first round from, from the uh, Stafford trade will be between 29 and 32, depending on how they finish. I think they need to build an identity with this team. Dan Campbell loves his gritty defensive guys. Uh, in Hutchinson's an elite talent, best defender in college this year, led that Michigan Wolverines team to the college football player for the first time ever. He had 14 sacks and forced two fumbles this year as a senior for Jim Harbaugh. I think he'll slot next nicely on the edge opposite Romeo Aquara to give them a formidable pass rush for the, for the future in Detroit. Lions have the wor- had the worst points against rating in football last year. One of the worst defensive teams in football. Hutchinson is an absolute game wrecker. I love this pick. But Mitch, why do you think Hutchinson goes two and not one? Because honestly, you can go real, really much be interchangeable with these top two guys. I think it goes for need, right? I think also that the Jaguars have pieces on that defense that are still there. Caleb on chase on among others that they've invested serious capital into. But they don't, even with the Cam Robinson situation, I don't think that you're going to be able to be successful with Trevor Lawrence if he's not upright. So you got to go get your tackle. And I think here, right, the Lions, we're going to go pass rusher. They're lying with Panay Sewell, Ragnow, and O'Neal is pretty much intact. For the most part, they have a little bit of guard work they have to do, but they can address them for agency or later rounds. I think you get a premium player in a premium position for the Detroit Lions here, and this was the right move for them. All right, number three, Houston Texans on the clock. This one might come as a surprise, but I got the uh, cornerback at LSU, Derek Stingley Jr. going here. Stingley Jr., my bad. Uh, Right? He has the most upside and probably the best combination of floor and upside in the draft. Got injured this year, but not to mention, I could have won Thibodeau, among other, could have won the tackle. Jonathan Greenard had eight sacks. They had a couple other pass rushers who were under contract that had sacks. They have no one in the secondary their line held up not great, but okay for Davis Mills. I felt this was the right move for them. Getting a lockdown quarter completely changes teams' offensive game plans against your team, right? Jalen Ramsey, Darrell Revis, Richard Sherman, past years, just to name a few. And I think Stingley, Sting, Stingley becomes an elite playmaker for that defense in Houston. Yeah, he's an absolute game wrecker. And you talk about all the time, Mitch. Talked about the seven most important positions in football. This is something you always touch upon, just the lockdown corner to lock out your team best defender. Texans are very much a mess. And their secondary is one of the worst in football. Allowed a lot of big plays, though. A lot of receivers. But I think this is an very interesting pick. So both with the fourth pick, the New York Jets won a first top, top 10 picks on the clock at four. I got the Jets getting really happy here that Kayvon Thibodeau, the pass rusher out of Oregon, the edge rusher, is still available from here. Arguably, arguably the highest upside of any player in the class, right? Uh, had seven sacks and two forced fumbles last season for the Oregon Ducks. Could be within that Bosa brother, TJ Watt tier in a couple of years, right? Robert, Robert Sala knows from his time in San Francisco that elite pass rushers get you to Super Bowls. He just got himself an elite pass rusher to go against opposite Carl Lawson when healthy for Dane Green in their defense. This is their first of two picks. They have another one at 10 and they got the best player and addressed the need at four overall. Yeah. The New York jets had a lot of trouble getting to the quarterback this season. Only, only about 33 sacks as a team, not a strength, but line them up with don't know if the Williams brothers will still be around, but that could be a potential scary front seven for the jets that are building something good there. I think the Jets have a good thing going for them. All right, Mitch, pick number five. We are halfway there. You're a New York Giants on the clock with pick five. I got my New York football Giants selecting Iquan Mokwanu, the tackle out of North Carolina State. 
Look, the Giants' O-line is awful. It's been awful for forever. Dave Gettleman said he wanted his hogmollies coming to fix it. Did not address that without with, with out we're disregarding the selection of Andrew Thomas, who actually turns out you got him at left tackle, nothing else in stone. Aquanu will likely start right tackle after the Matt Part thing did not go well. Could slot inside to guard, but for the with a squatter frame, which is why I didn't have him going one, six, four, three, twenty. I really think this is the way, right way for Joe Shane to start his Giants career, getting a tackle at number five. The offensive line always has been an issue for the Giants. They've been trying to fix it for for the later for the latter half of the of the decade ever since Eli, and it's always been an issue for them. So that will be interesting to see. And this is where we start having a little fun, Mitch. Breaking number six for the Carolina Panthers. My first question: You have no trades in your mock draft. You think? Do you think Carolina will trade back for a quarterback in this place, or do you think you see teams who do you think is willing to trade up right now? Because Carolina is very deep at a lot of other positions, but they really just need to figure out stability at the quarterback position. Do you think they trade back here? I mean, Carolina has this pick, and the next one's 105 because they traded for Darnold and CJ Henderson. That was part of the packages. They could go quarterback here themselves. I don't have them here because I think they'll address that in the offseason, whether that be a trade and then they're not picking here or they sign someone, or they try and find a way to run it back with one of the three guys they had this year. So they can definitely trade back. Maybe the Falcons move up two spots to try and get a quarterback. Maybe the Vikings try and get their heir apparent. Maybe the Saints. I don't think the Eagles or the Broncos are a possibility. The Washington football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, among others. Maybe the Lions try and get back up here and get a quarterback. But for right now, at number six, I have the tackle out of Mississippi State, Charles Cross, going here. Regardless of quarterback, they need an they need an OT one. They don't have a tackle, really. That's been pl- pl- that's plagued them this year, among other things. Right, we know Christian McCaffrey, although he's been hurt. DJ Moore, uh, Robbie Anderson's there, among other talents they have, and they put a lot of effort in that defense. About time Matt Rule starts building his offense before he gets fired. He has a claim that he can wind up being the best tackle in this class when it's done. I like the fit here. I think he'll do well for that Carolina offense. So, yeah, this Carolina offense was buzzing at the beginning of the season and just went in an absolute free fall. Matt Rule, we talk about him a lot. His seat is hot. The Panthers had the offense on the – had this talent on the offensive side of the ball to compete with the teams in a weak NFC South that we think is only going to get weaker. So the Panthers need to make sure they're doing this right with the draft. And big, the Panthers just also hired Ben McAdoo, your former head coach, to their off to be their offensive <laughs> coordinator. That will be interesting to see, nonetheless. So we move on to pick six, the latter half of the, the pick seven. The Giants picking seventh with their second pick within the top ten pick from the Chicago Bears. Mitch, who do you have your Giants taken again? I got my New York Football Giants this time at pick seven in the trade from Justin Fields trade. The pick from Justin Fields trade taking George Kalaftis, the edge rusher after out of, out of Purdue. Right. The Giants realistically are going to do one of are going to draft at least one lineman with five or seven might go to this could have been a Tyler Linderbaum spot. I decided not to pick not to have him go here. I felt that this could also be a defensive playmaker, maybe Kyle Hamilton, but the Giants need the trenches. Right. The Giants won two Super Bowls off a strong offensive line, and a strong front four. They have one pass rusher right now. And Aziz Ojolari had a good had a pretty good rookie year that the second round pick out of Georgia, but they had no help. Up, they were like 31st in Saxon win rate. They need an elite pass rusher. I believe Karlaftis can be that guy. He only had four and a half sacks, two four fumbles this year. But with another guy across him, he can be elite, can be a 10 sack a year guy. Again, if they don't go line here on either side, likely Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame, they could. This is a definitely a trade back spot, especially for teams in need of a quarterback. If none are off the board, right? If the four, if the Panthers don't go quarterback at six. And even if they do, and they select Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter. I think there's one other guy I'm forgetting that I mentioned, but. So interesting pick. The Giants, again, going edges. um, They go again. You said like focusing on the line of scrimmage, trying to revamp giant, revamp giant football. And it seems like it, in, it embodies what we say the giant way. It's like Giants football. You win in the trenches, win at the line of scrimmage, you get to the quarterback. So the Giants were really bad at last season. They were giving teams all the time to throw. And it'll be really 
Joe Shane in his first draft has a lot to play with. He really needs Giants fans are going to be very restless if they mess these picks up. This is very rare for a team that's two picks in the top 10. Yeah. That brings us to pick. Before, hold on a second. Sorry. Joe Shane, right? Last five times the Bills picked in the first and second round, they drafted linemen on both sides of the ball. So, checks out. And this brings us to the Atlanta Falcons at eight. Who do you got, Mitch? Falcons on the clock. I got Ahmad Sauce Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati, heading here at eight. I know this might be a bit early for some people. I think he's the right player here. I think he's an elite playmaker. They could have went quarterback, could have went online. Didn't feel like either of those were value fit. I felt receiver was a bit too early and felt that even if they do try Calvin Ridley, they're likely to go get one back or whatever pick they get for Ridley draft a receiver in late first, or early second round, depending on what they get back for him. Uh, they also Arthur Smith has publicly committed to Matt Ryan for next year. And there's a lot of money on the book to make that not happen. Uh, well, uh, he had deflected four passes and three picks this season, but out of 40 targets in 20 games, he only allowed 20 catches and 131 yards in those catches. That's really, really good. Especially for a Falcon secondary that for has Falcons, been struggling I, for way too long. Long AJ Terrell's been a nice spot for them. Not necessarily living up to the draft title, but playing serviceably. But to add another elite corner in a pass first league is definitely a need for this Atlanta Falcons team. Mitch, if you may, the Falcons do have pieces in the secondary. And their issue last year was their passer. Greedy Jarrett, their two-time All-Pro, had one sack last season and 17 starts. Why did you choose to go secondary instead of maybe focusing more on the front seven or the pass rush for the Atlanta Falcons? More for value, Sam, honestly, more than anything else. I don't necessarily think – if the Falcons stay here, this pick will likely be a quarterback. I think by the time we get to April, I don't think they stay here. I think it's possible maybe a Kyle Hamilton, a better playmaker, maybe a Devin Lloyd out of Utah. They could – the pass rushers to have – I don't think David Ojabo is a top 10 – pick honestly to have four pass rushers in the first round you're going to really draft the fourth one at number eight it was a hard sell for me i think this felt the need again a couple other defenders could have went here maybe andrew booth but i felt gardner was a better fit for this falcons team pick nine denver broncos i got devin lloyd out of utah again another spot where carlathis would have been a fit also a quarterback spot but to be honest i think denver gets the quarterback situation figured out in the offseason, whether it's Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers, maybe Russell Wilson. I really think they do. Uh, they also trade away their best pass rusher ever in Von Miller. They need another linebacker. Devin Lloyd plays well on all three well, plays well on all three levels. He's great in pass rush, had eight sacks last year, played well in run defense, had one forced one fumble, had four picks, and deflected six passes in pass coverage. Uh, and he's a he's a rangy linebacker that you spend that for that type of playmaker, you draft in the top 10. He'd add another level to the already great Broncos defense for whoever winds up being the head coach in D.C. there. You mentioned it'll be interesting if the Broncos bring a head coach. And with our final pick on the mock, we're going to show pick number 10, the New York Jets. Uh, two teams picking twice in the top 10. The New York Jets are picking. Kyle Hamilton, the safety on Notre Dame. Honestly, Ray number three in terms of town, my big board. But the Jets likely made up bandits if they were able to get Thibodeau and Hamilton. Right. <laughs> I would have loved to give them Stingley and like Revis Island comparisons. Like I could have went booth here, but I didn't feel like a quarterback. I'm like with Kyle Hamilton's a beast of a player. He's a top five talent impact player. He only played in six games last year was injured, but still had six pick, had three picks and four passes defended. The Jets get an impact player from their secondary that desperately needs it. And Joe Douglas has rebuilt a significant portion of his defense with his first two picks in this draft. Amazing job, Mitch. That will be it for our mock draft seven. Just for a time constraint, Mitch will be posting the rest of the mock draft. Down link will be posted down below. Amazing job once again. And it's going to be a fun draft to watch. And I'm curious to see what the quarterback situation is. There's a lot of speculation about where the quarterbacks are going. You didn't put any in the top 10. It could be very interesting to see what happens. And for what it's worth, yeah, I had one going 11. But wasting no time, let's move on to our favorite segment. It is time for the Hawk of the Day. Hey, and Mitch, why don't you start us off today with your Hawk? Uh, my Hawk of the Day, turnovers kill seasons. You saw it four times this weekend. Well, three times and then a uh, crappy overtime rule and a coin toss. Josh Allen's first ever career coin toss loss. But you got to keep the ball. Don't turn the ball over. 
that's what led to a couple teams going home, potential decision alter make organizational altering decisions that are going to be made in the next coming weeks. What about you, Sam? Obviously special teams too. So, I was originally going to do special teams, but I changed it. Cause I was thinking about the episode, something that we forgot to touch on. Um, I don't know if Roger Dell is ever going to hear this and I don't expect him to, I don't know if anyone in the high range levels is going to hear this, but please just change the overtime rules. We all knew that whoever got the ball first was winning that game. And it's just annoying that Josh Allen willed the Bills to victory, and he didn't get a chance to see the field. This has gone on for way too long. There's got to be something that can be changed. The Bills deserve the chance to fight and see the field. I really am begging for the NFL to make a change, and not just because Mill is probably going to show up to Roger Goodell's house and pitch forks and torches. That's besides the point. But We're 10 minutes from I there. Think, I really think the NFL needs to change something. Yeah. So – that concludes our mock draft and our recaps and all of our content for today. Hope you enjoyed our NFL coverage and my mock draft. We will be back on Wednesday with some in-depth analysis on the NBA. It'll yeah. be a brand new segment. We will be going in depth. Stick around for that. It'll be a lot of fun, but until next time, I am Sam Kimchis. I am Mitch Wolf, and we will see you next time on the Highlands Hawk.